Second Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to pick up this morning. And we're going to continue to look at Peter's letter written to early Christians dealing again with outward persecution that we looked at in chapter 1 and, and now inward corruption. There's physical attacks from the world, the mockings and the beatings and again being put to death simply because they were identified with Christ. And now we have what I believe is the much greater tactic that Satan uses. I believe even more dangerous than outward persecution is inward corruption. Far worse than having our faith tested from the outside is having our faith tainted from the inside. Having people that are standing up and proclaiming to be those who are walking with God, teaching something that isn't true. And sadly, it was true 2,000 years ago, and it's still true today. Outward persecution has caused many professing Christians to buckle under its weight, but again, I think far more destructive is those who are being deceived from the inside and begin to take their eyes off the Lord. Outward persecution can be a source of pain. We've talked about this. Keep praying for the, our missionaries in India, what they're going through right now. Women being raped, men being murdered, uh, churches being burnt to the ground, families being separated from each other, hiding out in, you know, in the woods to save their lives. And outward persecution is nothing to be played down, certainly. But at the same time, I believe what happens often with persecution, revival comes from it. Often for persecution, you see spiritual growth because people's faith is being tested. And again, I don't want to downplay how difficult it is, but I praise God that through it, great things happen. But with that being said, the inward corruption that takes place, it's so difficult because so many times the person that's bringing the false doctrine looks so good on the outside. They look to have good character, they dress right, they got all the Christianese, they know the right things to say, but you know what, what they're bringing, as we're going to see this morning, is nothing short of the doctrine of the devil, that's what the Bible says. If you came here this morning for a feel-good message, it's not too late to leave. Because here's the thing, this is a heavy-duty chapter. And in this chapter, we're going to see that it's far more destructive to the truth of the gospel and the fulfilling of the Great Commission, far more destructive than the heinous attacks of a Caesar Nero is the teaching of a false teacher, for example, of a Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith outwardly looked really good, and the people that follow him today, you know what, if you were to sit down with them and really not define your terms, they would almost sound like Christians. But the sad point is this, that they are as far away from heaven as anybody else on this planet. They need to be born again. They do not believe in the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Guys, inward corruption will lead many, many more people away from the Lord than outward persecution. While it's faith that helps a believer stand strong in the face of persecution, it's truth that keeps the church from being corrupted by the lies and false doctrines of false teachers. Satan knows this. He knows it. This is why he has placed an all-out assault on the existence of absolute truth. Guys, today more than ever, and I'm going to share this for a few minutes and then we'll get into the text, but today more than ever, absolute truth is under attack. And the reason that it is, is Satan knows if you have absolute truth, then it brings out what the lie is. Today, their focus is more on being politically correct than biblically accurate. Is that true or not? 
It's more important to be politically correct than biblically accurate. Uh, a greater weight is placed on a man's personal thoughts, feelings, and experiences than the clear and simple truth of God's word. If I hear one more time about how we need to change the message to meet the latest generation, that's nauseating. Here's the point. The message is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't change the message. We just say it louder. Amen? We need to speak it with boldness. We need to speak it, and it's so under attack again today that we're trying to be more concerned with people's feelings than their eternity. We're more concerned with being popular with men than faithful to Almighty God. And I'm talking about pastors, not just Christians. Today we see that not only do we have this political correctness that is running rampant through the church, that thoughts and feelings of a created being given more significance than the words and laws and commands of the Creator, and what it leads to is what is known as moral relativism. Moral relativism is whatever I believe for me is what's right for me. And if you think about that and take it to its logical end, there are few statements you can make that would be dumber than that one. Well, if it's right for me, it's good for me, and that's all that matters. And, and, and you can have, I believe 2 plus 2 is 9, and it, I believe it, so it's right for me. And there's this mentality where, again, instead of the truth of God's word, instead of you know, being obedient to what the creator has told us, we as the creation are making the rules. We're determining what's right and wrong for us. And everybody has this floating sense of their own personal morality. These godless beliefs, again, are not limited to secular society and college campuses, but are becoming more and more prevalent in the church. What's happening in the church today is political correctness, the absence of the type of assessment or judgment of someone's actions, behavior, or lifestyle. Here, that's what political correctness is. That's Pastor Dave's de- uh, you know, definition. Let me say it again. The absence of any type of assessment or judgment of someone's actions, behavior, or lifestyle. Better put it this way. It's the couching of sinful behavior with a much more affirming term. People are not lazy, they're motivationally challenged. They're not rebellious, they just have a free spirit. You know, we've taken everything that flies so in the face of the word of God, and we've given it a name that's affirming. Another word I just about want to throw up every time I hear it. In the church, this very same pattern is creeping in. Entire denominations have ceased to condemn the very sins that are clearly defended or condemned, excuse me, in Scripture. They've become open and affirming churches. You know what an open and affirming church means? It means that rather than confront your sin, we stand with you in it and we rejoice in your sinfulness. I drive by, you most of you know I have a full-time job, I drive by a church two or three times a week, that has a cross draped in a rainbow flag which signifies homosexuality, and it says in big letters that open and affirming church. Here's what that means. We reject what the Bible says, and we believe your feelings supersede it, and we believe you can just be whatever you want because the word of God doesn't matter. And sadly, that's what's happening in the church today. And it's heartbreaking. Instead of one way, There's many ways. Instead of a one path to God, 
There are many paths to God and each finds his own way. Instead of an emphasis on the clear and simple truth of the word of God, every individual's emotions and everything that they're going through, they're on their own personal journey. Now again, I've been studying this chapter all week and I've lost sleep just just God's really been gripping my heart. There are wor- I don't like the word affirming. I don't like the word journey. Guys, Christianity is not a journey. We're not on some journey trying to find God. Amen? We have an intimate relationship with Him. The journey says God's not a part of it and I'm just finding my way on my own. Hey, you're in trouble if you're on a journey. You better just get in the boat with Jesus Christ. Amen? Let Him lead the way. Let Him be the one. No more affirming of godless behavior and somehow trying to make people feel good about their sin. Preaching of a man-centered gospel instead of a Christ-centered one. It's in this system that compromise is disguised as compassion. Now we're going to get to the text, but let me say this. This is what I see often. We're open and affirming, which means we're compassionate. No, it's not. You're not compassionate because you don't love people enough to tell them the truth they need to hear that will save them from hellfire. Amen? Is that compassion? No, it's not compassion. It's a lie. But today what is happening is, oh, pastor, we need to be more, hey, I want us to be compassionate. I want us to be the most loving, gracious church around. But you know what? Part of love is speaking truth. Truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. And there are churches all over just confirming and affirming and holding up the hands of people that don't know God and making them feel good about their sinful behavior. Guys, the gospel points to the fact that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. The message of John the Baptist was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message of the Apostle Paul was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message of Jesus Christ was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the message today needs to be repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not I'm okay, you're okay, how do you feel, God bless you. That's not the message. And so as we get into the text, we're going to see this exhortation, because we're going to find out just how the Lord feels about false teachers. Because we think, oh, if they're, if they're magnanimous and they're kind and they're nice, you know what, again, Satan is going to appear as an angel of light. He doesn't show up with a pitchfork in his hand and say, follow me to hell. Most people, would, now some people would still go for that, but most people won't. So what the enemy does instead is he tries to take something that's close to Christianity and paint some things on it and make it be a warm and inviting environment where you can continue on in your lifestyle and still feel like you're going to heaven without ever changing. In the affirming church, there is no mention of sin. There is no mention of a need for holiness. There's no mention of a need for repentance. Without that, we're not the church. Without that, we can't have a relationship with the Lord. It's not about pursuing or discovering my own path, my own journey, but following him on the one and only narrow path to heaven. This morning's text, we're going to get a not-so-politically-correct description of how God feels about those who preach false doctrine, those who have chosen their own moral relevant path over the one and only true path that comes through him. 
This is not Pastor Dave's opinion. This is not anyone's opinion. This is the word of God. And we're going to see that as Peter is about to be put to death, his life is coming to an end. There's a sense of urgency on his heart, and he's penning these words, these words of clear exhortation to the early church. So if you're a note taker, title the message, Righteous Judgment of a Loving God. Some people think those words don't belong in the same sentence. But righteous judgment of a loving God. We're going to see 11 attributes of, a, of false prophets and false teachers in the first three verses. Not all of them will apply to every false prophet or every false teacher. But we're going to see some of the attributes being laid out in Scripture. Secondly, we'll see three examples of righteous judgment against wickedness. One, the fallen angels. Why did they fall? Because of pride and envy. Number two, the ancient world. Why did God bring judgment? Because of violence and immorality and godlessness. And then finally, Sodom and Gomorrah. Why did God bring judgment? Because of homosexuality. You know, we're about to have a vote here. And and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but let me just say this. People say, well, Pastor Dave, why does it seem like homosexuality gets picked on more than other sin? Let me tell you why. Because when a country, when a people come to the place where they affirm the most unnatural and ungodly of relationships, we have gotten to a point where we no longer have a problem with sin, period. And we are getting, if we haven't already gotten to that place in our country today, And so, you know what? We love everyone. We want to see them all saved. I'm one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. I'm no better than anybody else, and neither are you. But guys, we know the truth, and the truth is that God does not condone that type of behavior. But he loves them, amen? All right, let's begin. Righteous judgment of a loving God. Eleven attributes of false prophets and false teachers. Let's begin in verse 1 of 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people. There were also. So in addition to. Well, the previous verse of the last chapter says that holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So you have the holy men of God who were speaking as the Holy Spirit spoke to them. They were writing down what the Holy Spirit wrote through them. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. And the contrast to them is the false prophet. So we are either speaking the oracles of God, the word of God, proclaiming the truth of God, or we are false prophets. And so the exhortation here is, you have one example, the example of those who are speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then you have the example of the false teachers. And he says to them, there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Notice where the false teachers are. They're among the people. He doesn't say to them, hey, there are false teachers out there in the woods somewhere. Hey, there are false teachers 500 miles from you. He is speaking to the first century church, and he says, right there in those homes you're meeting in, right there when you gather together, there are false teachers in your midst teaching false prophecy teaching something that is contrary to the truth of God's word. Remember, they're being outwardly persecuted, and now inward corruption is coming, and these are the things that are trying to draw them away from the truth. And Peter, their big brother in the faith, the apostle, is writing to them 
encouraging them not to fall for the lies of the world. You know, false teachers do speak empowered by a spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. And if Satan can't beat us down from the outside, he'll try to corrupt us from the inside. And you know what? Since he can't beat us, he'll seek to join us. And again, Peter is writing with urgency, saying, be ready. You know what? He doesn't pull any punches or worry about being politically correct here. He's not worried about how he puts his words in case somebody, ooh, that might hurt someone's feelings. And again, I don't think we should be obnoxious, absolutely, or self-righteous. But we need to, again, love people enough to speak the truth in love, but to speak it openly and bluntly. So point number one of, about false teachers. They've always been around. Wherever the Holy Spirit is moving, get ready for the enemy to send in counterfeits. Wherever God is doing great and awesome things, get ready for someone to come into the midst of the crowd and try to draw people away to a lie. I praise God that we haven't had a ton of it here, but we've had it. Where people have come in, they'll usually look for someone who's newer in their faith, they'll invite them over to dinner, and then they'll let them know, well, the pastors at church are kind of good guys, but I've got the deeper truth. And let me explain to you the deeper truth. Ooh, they go surface at church, we go deep. And when we go deep, we're going to teach you things that nobody else knows. And we've had a few people like that, and we've asked them to stop, and they wouldn't, so we've told them to go find another place to fellowship. Because they're wolves in sheep's clothing, the Bible says. But they're always there, they're around. And you know what, if you're here, I'm sure if that was your goal when you started coming to Calvary Chapel, was to see how many people you could siphon off to your belief system, I'm sure you didn't introduce yourself and let me know that was coming. But know this, I pray every single day that God would show me who you are so I can deal with you. Pastor Dave, where's the hug, man? What happened to the hug? You know what? I want you to be the most loved people, but at the same time, a pastor is a shepherd, and he's got to watch out for wolves. They're going to come in. You know what's the difference between a wolf and a sheep? Wolves eat sheep. And we don't want anybody who's looking to you know, make lunch out of our people. We want to see them. They need to be removed and do it in love, or they need to change. One or two's got to happen. So they're always there, but number two... Again, it says they're at work among the people. They proclaim themselves to be Christians. They seek to draw professing Christians away to uh, to their form of doctrine. Now, I'm not picking on the Mormons, but it's just an easy example. The Mormon church, if you ask a Mormon, are you a Christian, do you know what they will tell you? Yes. And then they will say, I believe in God the Father. I believe that Jesus came to earth, that he died on the cross for my sins. Wow, that sounds pretty Christian, doesn't it? Until you find out that they believe God the Father used to be a man like us on another planet, and he was a good enough man that he got to be God of this planet. Uh, Not the God of the Bible. And Jesus and Satan, Lucifer, are brothers who are arguing over who would get to be the Savior of this planet. Does that sound like the Bible? That is not Christian, is it? 
But boy, it sure looks good if you just go across the surface. Sometimes we need to open up the truth for what really is there and to find out that this guy who was a, you know, a fairy tale writer who says he went out and one of two things is true. He either made it all up, and I don't think that's the case, or there was a spirit there that spoke to him. But it was not the Holy Spirit. So we need to have a burden for the Mormons who've been taught a lie to love them and to show them the truth. Again, not self-righteous, not arrogant, loving them into the kingdom, but loving them enough to speak the truth. They reject the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross as the only true path to salvation. They say that there is not a God, but many gods, and they believe they will become God of their own planet one day. Thus the polygamy, because then you need to start populating your planet now, so you might as well have a bunch of wives and have as many kids as you can, because when you die, you're all going to go to your planet together and start populating that place. Boy, is that a man-centered doctrine or what? You're going to be God one day, really, and you can have as many wives as you want. Great, and they're all going to serve you. Where do I sign up? That is a man-centered gospel, isn't it? And it is in direct contrast to the true word of God. That's so often what happens with false teachers. They make man more and God less. And as we move through the examples, we're going to see that they're all, they've always been here. They're among the people. We need to know the truth so we can recognize it when someone tries to approach us with a lie. Amen? And if someone's doing that, please tell your pastors, okay? Because we want to be able to lovingly discuss it with them. False prophets, false teachers have always been around wherever God is moving. They're among the people, moving among God's people, seeking to legitimize their beliefs and to draw professing Christians away. Then it says, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Now, what do they do? They work in secret. Why do they work in secret? Because they know if they stand up on a chair and say it, they won't be here long. That's what false teachers do. Rather than boldly proclaim truth and do it in love, they go and find, and I've always found this to be interesting. It's amazing to me how false teachers often, some of them do, but they're not necessarily trying to build their own following as much as steal someone else's. And why is that? It's tragic. They secretly work on the fringes of the church. They look again for the newer, less mature believers. They invite them in. They work in secret. They draw them away with the deeper truth. And ultimately, they're simply wolves in sheep's clothing. They'll be among you, and they will be those who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Now, fourth thing we see is they bring in, not only do they work in secret, but they bring in destructive heresies. Now, what is a heresy? You know, some of these words, when you use the word heretic, what does that mean? Well, let me give you a brief. The word heresy actually means to capture or to choose. It's a dissension that arises from a diversity of opinions. Men each having their own tenets, and they being forced to choose between them. So what does a heresy do? It causes division within the church, and someone is a heretic that does not believe the essentials of the Christian faith. 
A heretic is somebody who rejects that Jesus Christ is God. A heretic is somebody who does not believe that he died on the cross or that he rose from the dead or that he was born of a virgin or that the word of God is the word of God and is without error. When somebody goes against the essentials of the Christian faith and teaches contrary to them, they are one who's trying to divide the church and they can be properly defined as a heretic. And so the word he's saying here is they bring in divisive heresies. They come in to bring division. Now, that's what Satan wants to do. Do you think that the Lord, you know, and and I'm not going to debate this, but do you think the Lord is glad that there are a thousand denominations or whatever there are? Guys, there's one church. I've heard pastors say, I think all the denominations are great. I guess I don't. I think it's good that we stop being of anything other than Jesus Christ and identify with him and him alone. We should be just as excited when somebody gets saved at the church down the street as when they get saved here. It's all, that's all that's going to matter in eternity. Lord, help us not to be divisive. Help us not to be drawing people unto ourselves. We are way too accepting of false doctrine today. It's just too easy. If it sounds good, okay, well, as long as you believe that, God bless you. We've got to stop being accepting of false doctrine and say, you know what, that's not in the Bible. Where is that in the Bible? It's amazing how people stop cold when you ask them that. Where is that in the Bible? I have a new coworker who just came out of training class and he sits right across from me. And he found out, they had him ride with me the first day to kind of train him and of course he found out, it didn't take long for him to find out I'm a Christian and then find out I'm a pastor and I'm talking to him about the Lord. And he says, oh, you and I have a lot in common. I, I'm on the, the, the worship team at the Church of Religious Science. I said, I didn't know they had worship at the church of religious science. But he said, you know, Dave, you and I would have different terms and we have different ways of getting there, but when we get to the backside, we're serving the same God. And I said, no, we're not. He talks about the great spirit. What are you talking about? He rejects Jesus Christ as being God. That's not the God of the Bible. Now, I do nothing but love on him and I've prayed with him and I've encouraged him, but he keeps... And you know what's amazing? He's got the foulest mouth of anybody I've ever met. And I think, dude, if you got the same spirit I've got, you wouldn't be talking like that. That, You know, I don't get it. But see, guys, we live in a world today where it's, hey, we're all on a path that all leads to the same place. Hey, man, whatever path you're on, it's all good. One way God said to get to heaven, and Jesus is the only way. Narrow is the path that leads to salvation and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are false teachers coming in, bringing divisive messages to draw away even the elect, the Bible says. To try to get our eyes. Guys, if it doesn't lead us away, at the very least, what it does is renders us ineffective. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He says here, look what it says of them. Not only... Do they secretly come in and bring destructive heresies, but they even deny the Lord who bought them. They deny truths about the person of Jesus Christ. Again, his deity, his virgin birth, his sinless perfection, his atoning work at Calvary, his resurrection from the dead. Heresy is not based on a secondary view about how to educate your kids. That's not heresy. That's a disagreement. 
It's heresy when we disagree about the essentials. And guys, we need to step up for the essentials. Can I tell you something that really has been gripping my heart lately? I have seen several well-known pastors on national TV lately afraid to just boldly say Jesus is the only way. They'll ask them, well, is Jesus the only way? Well, you know, if you look at Scripture and you stop mealy-mouthing around about it and say it. Why are you doing this? You know what it is? It's the fear of, well, I might offend somebody, but the cross of Christ is the stone of offense. Guys, we need to be offended that we might be born again. Amen? Too often what we're trying to do is be popular with men instead of faithful to God. Woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. And not the gospel that men want to hear, but what the Bible tells us is the truth. Guys, we give you a Bible when you get in here because we don't want the opinions of men, but the word of God. You need to have that open and make sure that I'm reading the Bible and not something else. Lord, help us to be more outspoken about the truth, but to always do it in love. But notice what happens. Not only do they not deny the Lord who bought them, they deny the person of Christ, they deny some essentials of who he is. You deny one essential of who he is, you're not a Christian. But then it says this, and bring on themselves swift destruction. The sixth point, I'll go through all 11 of them at the end of the message, but the sixth point, sixth thing we see about false teachers, they are bringing destruction upon themselves. Now this is not politically correct either. Because people will say, but God is a loving God. You know what? Nobody loves more than our God. Nobody proved his love more than the one who sent his son to die that we might have eternal life. But guys, righteous judgment is not the opposite of love. Righteous judgment is an outpouring of love. God loves us. He desires that we not perish. He reaches out to us. But we must choose to follow him. Knowing this about a false teacher, what should you do knowing that divine judgment is coming upon him? Pray for him, but do not follow him. Amen? Pray for him. Pray for them. Pray that God would get a hold of their hearts and transform them. Pray that God would open up the word to them and they would begin to speak the truth. Pray they'd get to know the true and living God. Verse 2. And many will follow their destructive ways. You know what? Point number seven of a false teacher is false teachers often draw large crowds. You know, when God's working, there may be a big crowd. But just because there's a big crowd doesn't mean God's working. Amen? False teachers draw big crowds. And we'll talk about why in a moment, but one of the main reasons why a false teacher can draw a big crowd is he tells the people what they want to hear. The Bible says in the last days, men will raise up for themselves ear ticklers. You know, those who will tell you what you want to hear instead of what you need to hear. And so you can do that. You get a charismatic personality and a, you know, a, a, a big venue to do it in and some high-tech stuff going on behind you and you know what tell people how wonderful they are every week and slobber all over them and before you know it you got a big crowd coming and that's what false teachers do now you might say well i know this guy's got a big crowd he must be a false teacher not necessarily there's some very big churches where the word of god is being taught and it's healthy sheep begetting healthy sheep. Amen? 
So the key is to listen to the message. Because the false teacher draws a large crowd by having a man-centered, self-serving, false doctrine that appeals to the fleshly desires of men. Tells you what, you know, you're turning God into a genie. If I hear that again, you know, people do that on TV. If you turn on Christian television, what do they do? You know what? If you just give your seed, you plant your seed, and then they have someone come up, I gave my seed, and I gave him $1,000, and I got $150,000 in the mail. Right? Is that the church? Is that what it's supposed to be? Isn't it amazing, though, the guys that tell you to plant seeds always want you to plant seeds in their garden? Have you ever seen, noticed that? They want you to write the check to them. And this is false doctrine. That is not what the Word of God teaches, but what it is. It becomes a get-rich-quick scheme instead of a surrendered life to Almighty God. Instead of being a disciple, you're being a consumer. Lord, help us to be followers of the Lord. It says there, and many will follow their destructive ways. The word destructive there literally means sexually immoral or perverse ways. They are popular because they don't condemn sin. They won't call anything wrong. They won't point to the word of God. They'll tell you, just love God. Don't get caught up in the whole holiness thing. Don't worry about that. Just do what you want and show up on Sunday and talk about how much you love God. But guys, we know that love requires an action. Love is more than, you know, if I tell my wife I love her and I go home and hit her with a two by four every day, I don't think she's going to believe me. Amen? You know, love is seen in the actions we have towards those that we love. And we need to have that love for the Lord. Bible says we cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and the flesh. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't, you know, love God and love your sin. Because if we truly love God, we'll begin to despise our sin. Amen? But see again, the false teacher will tell people, hey, you're going to heaven. You know, and not only that, if you give a little money, you're going to get tenfold back and just believe it with your whole heart and just come on down here and we'll make it as quick and painless as possible for you to come to church. We'll get you in and out of here fast. We'll make it as much like going to a, you know, a circus or a Broadway show as we can. We will never convict you about your sin and you can run out of here thinking you're going to heaven, living your sinful life. Guys, that's the world we live in today. Because, and then it says this. People are going to follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of the truth will be blasphemed. Number nine, they cause... Number eight was they're popular because they don't condemn, don't condemn sin. Number nine, they cause unbelievers to look at Christianity with contempt. How many of you have ever told someone you're a Christian and gotten mocked? And if they don't mock you to your face, they're mocking you behind your back. And they, may, they are equating you with the televangelist that looks like he's doing a Saturday Night Live skit. Right? The false guy on TV, and they go, oh yeah, that's your buddy. And I'll never forget, there was a guy who pastored a big church in San Jose, and I was working, and, and people I worked with knew I was a pastor. And he would go to the bar across the street from where we work. I'd never been in there, but people would tell me, we saw that guy that's on TV all the time. He's always in there, and he's usually got four or five women with him, and he's drunk out of his mind. And they come back and blast me about it. 
Oh, your pastor buddy, another one of those Christian guys, you know, right over there. I mean, at half the time I wanted to go, where is he? I want to go talk to this guy. Because you know what? That's what happens when somebody is a hypocrite. When somebody is a heretic. When somebody is not truly walking with God, what happens is all of the body of Christ is lumped in with the false teacher. Because from the world's perspective, we're the same people. They say they're Christians. You say you're a Christian. Hey, and all of a sudden, before you know it, and that's what false teachers do. They bring contempt upon the body of Christ. Their false doctrine and ungodly behavior causes unbeliever, unbelievers to look at Christianity as a joke. The lost world doesn't distinguish, can't distinguish, between those who are truly saved and those who just refer themselves to, as being Christians. So what does that mean to you and I? Let me tell you what that means. Because there are so many people out there using the name Christian that aren't really Christians that are bringing harm to the cause of Christ, all the more reason that you and I need to live sold out and set apart unto him so that there is a Christian example that they can see. Amen? Because with the lie being all around them, painted as Christianity, then there needs to be a truth that people can see. We need to live in such a way that it overcomes the stereotypes of those who pose as Christians. Then, in verse 3, it says, By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Again, I got ahead of myself earlier, but that what this means is they will tell people what they want to hear, and their motivation is going to be money. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. They will tell you what you want to hear in order to get your money. If you're new here to Calvary Chapel, if anything, if I've been guilty of anything, I've been guilty of going to the opposite extreme when it comes to finances. And again, should we give? The answer is yes. Is it an act of worship? Yes. Is it an act of obedience? Yes. Should we give first where we're being fed? Yes. How often do I talk about it? Not often enough. Why? Because so many people come into churches and they're beat over the head about giving money, giving money, giving money, giving money. And often, if not most of the time, it's from those who have one motivation to line their own pockets. And my heart has been to be on the opposite extreme, as far away from that as we can be. That's why we don't even pass an offering. And the reason for that is my heart would be that people would come. I've had people been here for three months and come up to me and go, do you guys ever take an offering? How do you guys pay for the chairs? I mean, how, how do, you're on the radio. Who pays for that? We have a box over there. Oh, I would much rather have that than someone feeling like they came to Calvary Chapel and all we wanted was their money. You know what? We don't want your money. We want to see you walking with Christ. And he'll take care of the rest of that stuff. So much of the Christian TV is focused on health and wealth and prosperity. Men who preach seed giving again and again and again and again and again, do they know anything else? And the answer is not really. They really have one focus. They're covetous. So it says, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. And then it says, for a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Guys, in the end, He's saying it a second time. They will not escape God's righteous judgment. 
They may lie, they may deceive, they may get people's money, they may be heretics, they may be teaching a false truth, they may have a big crowd following after them, but you know what? In the end, they're going to answer to Almighty God. In the end, He is the judge. It says that His judgment of them, their destruction does not slumber. It does not sleep, it will not be neglected. And while it may seem that these false teachers are getting away with their deception and false doctrine and covetous ways, God word promises in a not politically correct fashion notice or moral you know morally morally relative way or an open and affirming way he says their destruction's coming that's not politically correct is it but god is not slack concerning the righteous judgment of false teachers so the 11 things attributes we saw they've always been around they're at work among the people they work secretly on the fringes They bring in destructive heresies. I'll have this up here later. They deny the truths about Jesus Christ. Divine judgment is coming. False teachers often draw large crowds. They are popular because they don't condemn sin. They cause unbelievers to look at Christianity with contempt. They tell people what they want to hear. And again, the second time he says, in the end, they will not escape righteous judgment. Now, quickly here, I want to look at three examples of God's judgment against wickedness. Lest we sit here and think that there is no righteous judgment, the word of God is very clear. And as he's writing to them with these false teachers in amongst them, teaching something else, he reminds them that God is a God of love, grace, and mercy, but he's also a God of righteous judgment. Laying to rest the thought that because God is a God of love and grace and mercy, that no one will really be judged. Have you ever heard that before? God's a God of love. I'll be in heaven. Why? Well, I'm a good guy. Well, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. No such thing as a good guy. Amen? I, you know, I catch myself. He's a good guy. Well, no, he's not. Sinner in desperate need of a Savior just like me. Amen? Verse 4 says this. Three examples of righteous judgment against wickedness. Number one, the fallen angels. It says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Boy, that was not very politically correct, was it? Pete, dude, you got to dial that down a notch. You said hell, chains, delivered, darkness, and judgment in one sentence. Guys, We need to proclaim the truth rather than have people face it. We need to do it in love, but people need to hear it. The word for there means there's no doubt. Therefore, seeing then, in light of what you have just heard, God did not, if he did not spare the angels. In Jude 6, it says, the angels did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. These are angels who become discontented with their lot. Discontented with being in heaven with Almighty God and around His throne worshiping Him. They became discontented. Do we know why they became discontented? Not fully, but I have some ideas. Was it because they heard about what was going to happen with us? You ever thought about that? Well, I'm going to create man in my own image and, and they're going to come to know me and I, they're going to become my bride and they're going to be higher than you. What? We've been around your throne, worshiping you forever. And you're going to create other people that you're going to esteem greater than us? Yes, I am. Well, I don't like that. 
And you know what happens? Pride. I also believe, and this I believe is absolutely true, that they also got caught up in their own giftedness. You know, Satan, the Bible tells us, was the most beautiful of all the angels, Lucifer. Many believe he was the, quote, worship leader in heaven. And because he was so beautiful, and because he probably had the greatest and most beautiful voice in all of heaven, he started to think more highly of himself than he ought to. And now he left and decided he wanted to be greater than God. Boy, there's nothing new under the sun because he does the same thing. It's the same lie he tells people today. He told Eve, you're going to be just like God if you'll eat of this fruit. And he would tell us today the same thing. If God brings righteous judgment upon angels, those he created, those we had intimate fellowship with, those who were able to enter into his presence, how can we expect that we, if we reject the Lord, will escape his judgment certainly god will just let this mistake slide these guys are angels after all he's a loving god they're angels he's gonna let it slide no what does it say instead he delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment wait a minute you're telling me that those who reject the lord and come against him that he judges them righteously that's exactly right that's the answer These angels were created to obey and worship God, but they fell from grace and chose to rebel against God's plan, and the result is righteous judgment. It says there in verse 5, And he did not spare the world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. You know, it says of the angels that he cast them down into hell where they would suffer punishment for their evil deeds. He delivered them into darkness. And notice now he goes back to say not only was it the angels, but what about the people? What about the ancient world? Not only was it the angels that rebelled, but creation rebelled. You know, it's amazing, and I'm going to move fairly quickly through this, but I want you to see this. The fallen angels were righteously judged by God and the ancient world needed to be righteously judged too. Why? Because they had gotten so far away from the truth. Look what it says here. He did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah, one of eight people. Many people believe there may have been as many as two or three billion people on the planet. There were certainly tens if not hundreds of millions of people and how many got saved? eight you know what that tells me god doesn't grade on a curve amen god doesn't say oh there's 10 billion people so i gotta save half that's not what happens all who reject him are separated from him and all that come to him will enter into his rest the ark is a type of christ 120 years noah preached righteousness invited people into the ark and only eight people came Guys, our God is a God of love and grace and mercy. He offers the salvation, but we must accept it. If we do not accept it, we will spend eternity separated from him. The ancient world heard the truth, but the ancient world continued in their sinful behavior. It tells us in Genesis chapter 6, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So what was the world like in the days of Noah? Rampant sexual immorality, 
unnatural sexual practices, uncontrolled violence, and the complete absence of right and wrong. What does that sound like? And the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Guys, look up for your redemption draweth near. We are living in the days very much like the days of Noah. Marriage. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. He says that we're going to enter into his presence, but there's going to be that flood that wipes them all out. And, and guess what? It came and they were wiped out. Why? Because they did not receive the message of the truth. In the midst of out of control wickedness, there was one guy preaching righteousness. That was a word of encouragement to me. I read that and I thought, praise God for Noah. A preacher of righteousness when the whole world was wicked. When all the thoughts and the intents of their hearts was always on wickedness continually. When they were rejecting God, mocking him for building a boat, he remained faithful. Lord, help us to have a room full of Noah's. To be faithful to the word of God. May we not grow numb to the wickedness of the world and become desensitized to sin. You know what? I am going to confess to you. I have to check myself constantly because I become desensitized to sin. Is anybody else in the same boat with me? You start hearing words. You start accepting things as being okay. You start hearing things. You start thinking, oh, it's not that bad. Why? Because you've heard it a thousand times. But guys, the plumb nine is not the behavior of men, but the word of God. And that needs to be our foundation. Praise God for a man who lived every day in light of the Lord soon return. May we not grow numb. God's judgment is always righteous. He desires that none should perish. He waited 120 years, but when they rejected him, he did bring judgment. And last verse. We had a lot going on today, so I might go over a minute or two, so forgive me. But I want to get to this last verse. Verse six. So it says there, a preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood of the world of the ungodly, and in last verse, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, he condemned them with destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. This is the righteous judgment of a loving God. He turned two very prosperous cities into piles of ashes. This is probably not the... Ch- well, I'm not going to share that with my unsafe friends. That's pretty rough. What was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? What was it? Homosexuality. Where we get the term sodomy from Sodom. This is not only righteous judgment upon these two cities, but it was to serve as an example of judgment that would come upon those who followed in their footsteps. Let me say this. I've had homosexual co-workers. I've done nothing but love them. I've done nothing but share Jesus with them. And I hope that if somebody came in here that, had gone through, you feel welcome and in love. I'm glad you're here. But let me just say this. At the same time, God does set apart this, this, this sin in several ways. One, it speaks of those who've hardened their heart most toward God. Second of all, any time in human history where you have seen homosexuality accepted as normal behavior, you have seen the beginning of the end of that civilization. Be it the Romans, be it the Greeks. Be it any, na- any country, any peoples who've said that that behavior is okay, the example for us to look back to is Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Because it says it is an example for those who will follow in the same path. Guys, we're voting in a month and a half, and we may be following in the same path. Amen? Guys, no, I'm not a super political guy. But we need to stand up for the truth. Every country in human history that has followed this ungodly example has wreaked the same consequences in a sense that destruction came upon them. Guys, the church I drive by says we're an open and affirming church. You've got somebody who's obviously confused. You've got somebody who's obviously got something going on in their life, has made a very poor choice. There's a God of love and grace and mercy who can deliver them out of the bondage of that sin and make them a new creation in Christ. And the worst thing we can do is affirm ungodly behavior. Now, you might say, well, I don't struggle with homosexuality. Praise God. How about the pride and envy of the angels? Do you struggle with that? How about the sexual immorality of the world and the drunkenness and the out-of-control behavior that was happening in the days of Noah? Guys, all of us can relate to somewhere along this line where because of their behavior, they face the righteous judgment of God. Guys, he desires that none should perish, no, not one. He does not want to pour out his wrath upon anyone. He wants to see us all come to a saving knowledge of him. But if we reject him, if we go our own way, if we leave, if we decide not to go on the narrow path, if we don't make Jesus Christ not just our Savior but our Lord, we can face the same consequences we've seen in this morning's chapter. Lord, help us to come to a place where unlike the angels filled with pride or the days of Noah filled with immorality and violence or Sodom and Gomorrah where we look at sinful behavior and call it good, bring us to a place where we see and desire nothing more than to walk in the center of his will, to know his heart, to be filled with his spirit, to be a reflection of him to a lost and a dying world. Guys, I know this wasn't a, a light snack this morning. I know that this was a word, and I pray that you know that I love you, and more importantly, that the Lord loves you. Amen? But we need to hear this because it's the truth. And it's time for us to stop trying to be, you know, politically correct. Stop pursuing moral relativism. Stop dialing down the truth of God's word to be more popular with men. To stop accepting the false teaching of the world as being acceptable in the body of Christ. And to stop looking at sin like it's no big deal. Lord, help us to live holy and set apart lives. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And Lord, I thank you that you are a God of love and grace and mercy. But Lord... In the midst of your love and your grace, you're also a God of righteous judgment. And I know this morning for many, this is probably a hard word to hear. Maybe for some, they may even wonder, why would I want to serve a God like that? But Lord, I pray and ask in Jesus' name that nobody would leave here with the wrong understanding of your character. The wrong understanding of your incredible grace. You didn't bring swift judgment, Lord. You gave opportunity after opportunity for people to repent, for people to get right with you. It's only after we reject you again and again and again and we harden our hearts toward you that we bring this judgment upon ourselves. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, open their eyes to the truth of who you are. May they leave this place a new creation in Christ. May they know that they can be forgiven. Lord, may we cease to try to earn 
your favor our way. May we quit making our, our desire, our journey, our path the plumb line for truth. But instead, Lord, may it be the word of God. And Lord, we just ask that you bring revival, not just in this church, but the church in general. Lord, that we would get back to boldly proclaiming the love and the grace and the mercy that you sent to us in your son. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.